Welcome to Managing Well. I'm your host, Tanya Ladivo, and I'm very excited to be in conversation today with Melody Gross. Melody Gross is a keynote speaker, certified professional life coach, survivor, and disruptor of domestic violence. She's the owner of Courageous Shift, a speaking and consulting agency that offers transformative work for people-centered organizations at the intersection of domestic violence and DEI. Through speaking engagement, training, coaching, and policy consulting, Melody and her team partner with organizations to shift culture and develop psychologically and physically safe work environments. Melanie, welcome to Managing Well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. Yes. You know, for our conversation, talking about domestic violence um, in the workplace, yeah. uh, so often, you know, I, I, I have often been saying this, you know, I think one of the biggest shifts of work that happened with the pandemic is the understanding that what impacts us at home also impacts us in the yeah. workplace, right? And so if people are, are in violent situations at home, um, and we can talk about what violence, domestic yeah. violence actually covers, what that means, mm-hmm. um, it's gonna impact their their ability to show up. Absolutely. In the workplace, right? And so I think I just kind of want to open the conversation with the understanding of people think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't, that shouldn't matter at work. That's a personal problem. Yeah. Personal situation that very much impacts the person at work. Right. Um, And so I think just so we can have a a shared understanding when we're talking about domestic violence, Mm -hmm. what, how do you define that? What does that mean to you? Yeah. So, and that's a great question because a lot of people define domestic violence in very different ways. Um, But I like to say that the key part of domestic violence and as a whole, when you think of domestic violence, it's really about like a power and control Mm. over someone. And so domestic violence in its uh, term is referring to any kind of like violence between two people that can be related or in a intimate relationship. Now, when we think of intimate partner violence, which is often what we're talking about that impacts the workplace, that's about two people who may ha- who are dating, may have dated, married, divorced, you know, things even had just had a sexual relationship. So that intimate part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a little bit more. That's a type of domestic violence. And the biggest takeaway between that is, again, the power and control over someone. And it's a pattern of abuse that tends to escalate over time. So those are the key things that I try to get people to remember. It's like there's power and control over someone, and it's a pattern that escalates. And we need to broaden how we think of violence. Because immediately we go to physical. We think of black eyes. We think of bruises. Right? We think of assault. That's what we're thinking of. But Domestic violence is any kind of form of violence, such as emotional and verbal abuse, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Financial abuse, reproductive coercion, Mm -hmm. immigration status abuse, like all of these different types of ways in which, again, you're trying to have power over someone else. And so thank you for, for giving those kind of clear examples of what actually kind of falls within domestic abuse and violence. Um, and what people might be enduring at home, I think I just want to to say people very clearly, mm-hmm. domestic violence is not a woman's issue. Absolutely. Right? Women are not the only ones who experience domestic mm-hmm. violence. Um, like it, 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 
all genders and people can be victims and perpetrators. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we're thinking of, you know, I think kind of what immediately comes to mind for me when I think of domestic violence in the workplace are the stories you see on TV, right? The news stories of some, of, of, of a death, right? A homicide, sometimes a suicide homicide, but like um, somebody going to somebody else's workplace with the intent and actual causing physical harm to um, the person they've been in a relationship with or currently are, and or also like other employees in the situation. So right. The very kind of violent um events that we know about mm-hmm. but I also want to be able to think about and hear your perspective on how you actually help organizations kind of address the very damaging impact of domestic yeah. violence that doesn't hit the news yeah so that's a great question. And to your point, what people don't realize is between 25 and 27% of incidences of workplace violence are directly related to domestic violence. Wow. So that means, uh, again, to your point, a spouse coming and, you know, harming their ex-spouse or current spouse, but then may also hurt their colleague, right? Right. right. Um, things like that. And we always see that in the news, often someone gets harmed. But there was a lead up to that, right? There right. was signs to that that oftentimes employers either don't realize and recognize or they ignore. And so for me, my work is around not ignoring it. So there's this awareness, first of all, that we want to have, meaning we're going to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to share what it was like to be someone in the workplace and also experiencing intimate partner violence and how it impacted my work, Right. Um, and then we're going to talk about belonging. Oh, no, go for it. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thank you. I was probably yeah. debating if I wanted to interrupt. So thank no, you. <laughs> um, and, and you do say this in your bio. And so I appreciate the opening to be able to speak more to your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you, I think, share what it was like to be a survivor of domestic violence when you're at work? Like what? Yeah. What was that like going to work every day? What did you get from the workplace? What didn't you get? What do you wish you got? But right. if you could share more about that, I think that'd be really, um, yeah, that would be a gift. Yeah, absolutely. I have no problem sharing it. So yes, for nearly three years, I was in an abusive relationship with someone. And what I realized when I look back, like there was opportunities for my employer to interject um, on my behalf, meaning there was a time where I actually, I was physically assaulted. I was on crutches. I had to go to work. And that was when I really had to say, like, this is what I'm experiencing to my employer. Mm. And they were very supportive. They were very, very supportive. They moved to action. They, you know, made sure the front office knew and the security knew this person's not supposed to be on the premises, things like that. They did really well with that. Two things when I thought about afterwards, when I got into this work around gender-based violence, really, I realized that while they did respond in a really great great way, there were gaps. Mm. For instance, when I didn't leave when after I was assaulted, I actually went back. And so when I said to them, I was like, oh, it's totally fine. He can come to the workplace. We're good. 
they were, you know, he did. I remember the CEO saying like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I wish they had said, I'm glad that you are safe, but he can still no longer come here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Yes. 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 Because really what that- We have to keep everyone else safe. Yes. We have to keep everyone else safe. And this is our way of keeping you safe, even if you don't agree with us. That's right. Right. So there's that part. Yes. And the other part is I was the third woman who worked there that had experienced intimate partner violence while working there. And there was no policy in place. And so what a domestic violence workplace policy does, it gives organizations the blueprint of how to respond. Mm. They know what steps they need to take. They know what resources are available. They know how to engage with the victim. They also not engage with the perpetrator. Right. Yes. So if there's a perpetrator that works there, yes. like, you yes. know, things like that. Right. And so that, that's where I decided to like really focus on is because you spend so much time at, at work. You do You spend so much time. And honestly, for some, not all, for some sub, um, survivors of intimate partner violence, the workplace is the safe haven. Yes. Right. Right. It you're could possibly be the same haven. Plus you're more, eight hours or more. Exactly. Right. For some, because we do know sometimes organization culture repeat abusive patterns and behaviors for sure. Right. Yes. But for some, and for me, that was the case. Like it was a safe place. It, right. And there was times that I'm like, well, if I didn't have my son, I'm going to stay late because I know if I go home, there's yep. going to be an argument about something that is no reason to have an argument for. Right. Right. And so one of the things, a, a number of ways, it impacted my work is very much forgetfulness. Like I remember I had a supervisor. This wasn't the supervisor who initially was there when I was going through it, but she came afterwards and we were doing a performance review. Mm. It says, you know, you, you fill out your form and and what are the things that you've achieved this year? And da, 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 what are the, and I remember looking at this page, like I got nothing. Mm. <laughs> like I was like, I have nothing because Everything that I was going through, and at this point I had been out by the time this supervisor came, but I was just out. And like, I was trying to think about the year and I'm like, I was just trying to survive. Yep. Yes. Yes. I was just trying to survive. And so I had to be honest and tell her, I was like, listen, I got nothing. <laughs> like, I know I've accomplished things because I know that like, I still was like, you know, trying to do my best, but I could not recall like what are the really good things that you did what are the things because really it was like I may have been doing something really good but he's calling me back to back to back want to start an argument you know right, right. interrupting like your work that. day disrupting yes. the workplace right um showing up at work um questioning me about my work and really just like he would always talk shit about my job which I'm like you don't well, get paid you know what you're you you know what you're saying that I think is really I want to just kind of emphasize is that you know when you're when you're actively surviving domestic violence mm -hmm. you're actively in trauma Absolutely. like you're actively being traumatized your body and your brain is actively being traumatized and yeah. so a lot of your brain's energy is going to your point to surviving Absolutely. the trauma mm -hmm. so 
the forgetfulness, the distractions, it's because your brain's energy is focused on survival. And so you go to work and you do your other responsibilities. Sometimes you're just going through the motions. Sometimes you're actually able to do well, but you're not, you're not at full capacity because your brain is your brain's primary function is to keep you safe. That's right. Your point of the forgetfulness, the distractions, the um, uncertainty, the sleepiness. I, I, Tanya, when I look back, I could not believe how much I yawned at work. It was insane. Like that little thing, just yawning and because I was so tired all the time. I could not believe, I, I mean, seriously, I think back of like being in meetings and just constantly yawning. Right. It's such a little nuanced thing, but I thought about it all the time. I just constantly would yawn because I was always sleepy because we argued the night before, you know, and I'm like, I'm exhausted and I'm a single mom. So like, and I had a kid who was mm-hmm. young at the time. So mm-hmm. I'm dealing with all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I look back like thinking it had to be whatever you want to call it. Right. Higher power, God, source, whatever you want to call it to keep me going because I was mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and financially drained. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I worked part-time. I didn't make a lot of money. And sometimes when I'm having these conversations with employers, I'm also talking about, you need to pay your people, especially your women, especially your black and Latino and indigenous women, because we don't get paid enough. And so that is a barrier to us escaping is not being able to afford to actually leave. And that was a big reason why I stayed. I did not think that I could survive on my own. That is a really, I think, very important truth of the gender gap in Mm -hmm. in economic pay. Right. Right. Yes. It's unfair, but it means it limits, it limits people's choices significantly when they're not paid the value that their, work, their counterparts are paid, right? So I appreciate you you mentioning that. Like, so when, so I think that's something for organizations to consider when you're yeah. looking at pay scales and pay equity, mm-hmm. like I'm going to say it's just the right thing to do that you pay people fairly and equitably, right. but also the safety that it, the safety and security that it affords people mm-hmm. to make different decisions mm-hmm. because that's they right. have the income that they need, Right. Like that right there, I think, is a really concrete policy adjustment that employers can do. Yeah. And so I would say people actually who are listening to this, you might not be the owner of the company. You may not make those decisions, but the way to advocate for gender pay equity, Uh this is another avenue, right? This is another avenue of creating more safety for people who work, who work in the organization. Absolutely, because 99% of all intimate partner violence relationships experience some form of financial or economic abuse. Right. Some form yeah. of it, right? Yes. And so for me, it was him not paying his portion of the bills. And so I had to figure out when he couldn't pay. And mind you, I did an article, so I'm, very, I'm a very transparent person. I did an interview afterwards, and I talked about how I was making $22,000 a year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. $22,000 a year for several years. It was started at $20,000 to $22,000 a year. And I had to figure out how to survive with a child, right? 
in this life and then dealing with all of that. And so I talk about that. And the first step is like just being honest about salary, like salary transparency. Right, right. You know? And then being committed to, if there are gaps, make those okay. commitments, right? And don't take forever. <laughs> make those commitments to get everyone on an even playing field because yeah. it, it truly is a matter like that. I had to really say, okay, this is going to be tough, right? This is going to be a challenge. Yes. But I'm better off struggling financially alone than to keep being in this situation, mm-hmm. you know? Which is a very challenging, very challenging decision. Yeah. To make. It was. I'm curious, you know, as you were talking about your experiences and as you help organizations kind of craft policies and to your point, be aware of what domestic violence is and how it impacts people and the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um You were talking about the sleeplessness. You're talking about the yawning. You're talking about coming to work with crutches. And I'm just kind of curious, what what do you wish people said? Yeah. Would have been really... You know, I've never been asked that question in all of the interviews. Like, what do I wish people had said? I wish they had said, it's not your fault. I think that's the biggest thing. It's not that they didn't say it in a way, but those specific words, like it's not your fault, because a lot, a big part of it and why we stay in abusive relationships is because we do think it's our fault, because Mm -hmm. that's what we've been taught by the person too, is like, you caused me to do this. Mm-hmm. I remember that same situation with being on crutches. We, you know, he, first of all, I got a temporary restraining order. He absolutely ignored it, came to me apologizing. And I went back, didn't, you know, go on with the full restraining order. But I remember like, as the weeks go went on and he got more comfortable, it went from, you know, I'm really sorry that I, you know, I didn't mean to hurt you to, you know, why did you walk out the door to, you know, you made me do it, right? You made me, it it drastically changed. And so you almost feel like, you you almost feel like, well, damn, what did, did I, right? Like- Right, right. well, the classic what cycle. What could I right. have done differently, right? Right, the classic and, cycle. The, right, and so to hear someone else say, Because even when I speak with survivors and I do work with survivors, that's the first thing I say. Because the reality is it's not our fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? You know, when I hear... No, it's not. Let me just be clear. It is not. Yeah. And I hear how powerful and valuable it is to be affirmed, reaffirmed, reminded, mm-hmm. told the truth, mm-hmm. right? That that it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think there's um 
I think there's a lot of vulnerability in, in saying that to another person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I kind of wondering if that's one reason people don't say anything. They, you know, people say like, I don't know what to say. So they kind of don't say anything. Yeah. But to be able to like sit with somebody and hear that they were just assaulted mm-hmm. or that they've been assaulted or that, or that this is their being in a relationship because they can't financially afford to leave, but they don't want to be in it. Right. So when you have this awareness to mm-hmm. sit with somebody, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That is that not is. as heavy as experiencing it, but is is very heavy. And so I think that kind of there's a, a natural reaction to want to lean back. Oh, absolutely. And say like, oh, so glad you got out. We're going to make sure that he's not allowed on premises and call it a day. Yeah. But to be able to say and lean forward, I am so sorry that happened to you. Yeah. It should not have happened. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling me and trusting me to hear it. Yeah. And all of I just that. want you to know this isn't your fault. All of that. And I believe you. Think and that's I something. believe you. And I believe you. Right? I believe you. You know, we, we, there's a really great show. I I use this in my work often. There's a really great show on Apple TV called Severance. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've heard of it, but no. Phenomenal show. Love it. And this is really about how this company has made it a way so that when you are at work, you can only focus at work. You don't even know anything about your life outside of work. And when you're outside of work, you don't know anything that you do in work. And we have been conditioned in this society that once you step into those doors, nothing that's going on in your personal life matters. And that is completely and utterly ridiculous. And it's not realistic. No, it's not. It's not realistic. What I tell people all the time, if someone that you care about received a cancer diagnosis before you walked into that office, you think that that's not going to impact you? Right. Right. If someone passed away the day before and you got to go to work because then you got to make sure they know that whatever, or they weren't as, or they weren't defined as family. Remember, we have these policies, right? That family is defined a certain way. So if you, if they're not defined as family, but you were really close to them and you have to go to work, mm-hmm. you think that's not going to impact your day? Mm-hmm. If, if you are good. Even minor things like just not even a, a abusive relationship, but just a regular breakup. Mm-hmm. Very true. Well, and I, I think to your point, like that's I think the hard part of of the the point we're in with work, right? The, to your point of like we're coming out of that way of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we're evolving into a new way of understanding. Like we are whole people. We so our whole problems come with us to work. That's right. Right. That's right. <laughs> as well as our whole joys and, and whole talents and abilities. But like all of us come to work. And but I think what we we haven't seen just yet is the blueprint for how we how we treat and care for a whole being. Mm-hmm. And also the purpose of that role, right? And mm-hmm. also making sure the work gets done. And I f- I think that's a, a point for people managers. I think that actually there's a tension there, right? They mm-hmm. there's this, I think, um this kind of teetering of like if I if I care too much, if I give too much attention and care about the whole being, then the work doesn't get done. 
And then the other kind of point of if I just care about the work getting done and I don't care about the whole being, that's, right. that's not a person who ends up thriving or stays. That's right. right. And so that's like right. that balance of like- It has to be a balance. Right. How do you see somebody, see the pain they're going through, mm-hmm. address it, honor it, give resources as necessary- Mm-hmm. And then even have the conversation of like, so I know this has been going on. I'm so glad you're safe right now. I hope you get the, you know, here's the support we can offer you. I want you to take That's right. that. Yep. What do you need in the next few days? What do you need in the next few weeks? Do you yeah. need to shift a couple of things off your plate so you can focus mm-hmm. on kind of getting your personal situation in a better place and then we can add more kind of responsibilities back to your plate but like kind of having that straightforward conversation you honor where the person is and then you do talk about work and what needs to get done mm-hmm. and how you can support them in getting it done so i think kind of the the transparency of the conversation is necessary um but we're finding our way with that Oh, absolutely. And it's really tricky. It is a it is a balance because we have to get the work done mm-hmm. for sure, right? And so when I talk to leadership, we sit down and we like we're figuring out like what does this plan look like, right? How long? When do we say, okay, we've given this time, where's the accountability, right? And so right, right. that's where policies come into place because you can develop something, right, that honors what the person is going through and also get the work done right and hold people accountable and hold people accountable you know I just as soon as you said that I was just thinking of like oh I wonder if there is a way to have a policy for hardship times Mm -hmm. what can we do as an organization yeah when an individual like we have briefing policies you get three days which which is nothing. Right. Uh, go away in three days. Uh, but like, what what do we do in hardship times? That's right. Yeah. And so even some of the policies that, I, policies that I've developed for organizations, it could translate into like hardship times. So one organization, what they offer is, I believe, I believe it was like 10 days, right? If you need something, but it can be over a period of time because what I stress is that, sometimes you're getting everything done within a few days and you can do what you got to do. But other times it's like, Oh, I got a court appointment, you know, at in a few weeks that does not, you know, connect with the other policies that we may have. And so, but I can use this domestic violence workplace policy time because it is related to that. Right. And so we have to let go of policies that, no longer really honor the person and the lived experience of experiences of us all. Right. Right. Of us all. Right. right. That is so it's, not even just, it's, it's all of us. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I, I've gotten to the point, one of the things that one of the biggest lessons that I learned after leaving the abusive relationship, and it was not easy. I was stalked. I was harassed. He definitely showed up at my job. He showed up in a lot of different places and contacted people and, you know, but the the biggest thing that I came out of that realizing is that I don't do oppression. And so I don't want to be oppressed in any aspect of my life. And that included my relationships. Mm-hmm. That included the way I parented. Mm-hmm. Right. 
and it included my workplaces. So if I feel like my workplace is oppressing me, I'm leaving. The place you want to be. I'm leaving. And I've done that. And I've I've had to, now, let me be clear. I'm speaking from a place of privilege, right? Like I have a co- I'm college educated. I've, you know, done entrepreneurship before, whatever, whatever. I, I recognize that, right? Mm-hmm. I absolutely mm-hmm. am coming from a place of privilege. And also I will find a job and mm-hmm. leave a job. Mm-hmm. I'm not attached to it anymore. You know, because I say that all of life is what's more important. Absolutely. Right? I stayed in an organization for six years, part of that during that time. And I realized I was like, yeah, it's time for me to go. This is oppress. This is oppressive. And then I went to another organization and it was really oppressive, like really bad, like a lot of like, just like bias and racism and microaggressions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I did not leave this abusive relationship to then be abused at work. And that is such a, <laughs> that's such a powerfully true statement, yeah. right? That your, your, Mm, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use. Mm-hmm. Your boundaries shifted. My boundaries shifted. Yeah. Right? Of what what you were willing to survive. Yeah. yeah. Right? I don't like feeling like I am being controlled by someone or someplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be controlled. Right. And again, that means that also meant that I had to look at my parenting too, because I don't want to control, you know, my kid either. Like it's not, it's just not healthy. I hear <laughs> like, you. I hear you. It's not healthy. You know, I think these lessons, I mean, this is what I think kind of in, in life, right? Lessons, <laughs> the the most powerful ones I have found in my personal life tend to be the most painful ones. Oh, absolutely. Right. But then they're also lasting. They're also really lasting of what you learn and how you choose to carry it forward. Yeah. Um, and how that impacts, you know, that's and how it impacts all all relationships. I'll say, you know, I think one thing for the podcast managing well, you know, we talk about the workplace, but I'm often bringing in guests where we're talking about pieces of ourselves that are not just workplace related mm-hmm. because we're whole beings, right? Mm-hmm. And the way we develop relationships outside of work That's right. impact the relationships we have within work, right? Absolutely. Very Absolutely. True. You know, it's, when I talk to survivors and I've like done some um, surveys with them to ask like, what's it like being a victim survivor in the workplace? And most of them are losing their jobs, right? They're being blamed for it, right? Some of them, they have really great um, employers and they're able to keep their jobs. Some of them are able to just actually leave and, you know, they, and a job will support them, things like that, keep them safe. But most of them are losing their jobs. So there's an added stressor right and so it's hard to break free it takes i believe i want to say the data says three to five years and it may be longer i'll have to look that up again for someone who's experienced intimate partner violence in particular women it takes them three to five years to get financially stable again that's a long time that is a long time and i want to say it took me longer 
mm-hmm. it probably took me about four or five years mm-hmm. to really mm-hmm. and I didn't even have like debt with the person right like we didn't own a home right we didn't right own property right you know but those years right mm-hmm. of like experiencing in that and you're dealing with like how do you get out of that and almost lose an apartment and at the time when I dated him I didn't have a car so now I need to get a car so that's a that's a payment right like because I don't make enough to save up so I got to lease it right like all of these different things that we don't think about and yet I still have to show up mm-hmm. at work as this person who has it together and got to get it together and make sure these projects are excelling and all of that stuff right and it's really hard to do that when you are just trying to survive it is exceptionally hard yeah and yet people do it all the day every day and i think what what struck me as you were speaking is the way survivors are able to endure the trauma and then to show up and be in other roles Mm-hmm. as a parent, as an employee, as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Like to be able to still go to work and do the work, even if they're not operating at full capacity, right? right? But I think so often we hear, especially after like a big like event, like a homicide, we'll hear, I never knew. I didn't understand. I never knew. I'm so surprised because people I think are able to do what they have to do to survive. Um, Absolutely. But I think that I wanted to kind of pull that piece out, Melody, because mm-hmm. if we're at work and we're thinking of our colleagues, the people who report to us, the people we report to, everybody, I love the the phrase I see, and I don't know who said it, but like, everybody has something going on that will bring you to your knees if you knew about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, And so people don't know what's yeah. going on. And so I think... I just wanted to to kind of highlight the importance for organizations from a policy perspective, but then also for people managers to like to to know your people, to check in with them, to yeah. say, hey, you've been looking really tired for not the past day, like the past two weeks. The past yeah. two weeks. Is everything okay? If you don't want yeah. to talk to me. Do you want to check into our employee assistant program to get services there? Yeah. I just want to say, like, it seems like things aren't going. It seems like something's not right for you. And I want you to get the support you need. Yeah. And so I think there are these micro moments where we can interact. Yeah. We don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, organizations, the policy is necessary. But then also the people management and those micro moments of saying, I see you and I see that you're not okay. Yeah. And I'm not a trained therapist, so I don't really know what to say right now, but maybe you should look into our employee assistant program. Mm-hmm. It's just the quick way of saying it, right? When you get stuck, and you don't have to know what to say to be able to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm seeing something's not right and I want you to be okay. Yeah. And the other part about that, And that's a really great point you made. The other part about that is if you are consistently and constantly having the conversation, right? If there's signage around that that openly talks about domestic violence and intimate partner violence and the services, right? Then someone is more inclined to ask for help because they know it's there, right? Very true. And so 
True. I right. I remember I had a colleague who said, you know, I, I kind of knew something was up, right? Like I kind of knew something was up. So she recognized some things. But then I have a friend of mine who's also a survivor. And her supervisor did not know until her ex-husband called the job and was yelling and screaming at him. And so, because she overworked, she was taking on assignments. She was doing whatever she could because she didn't want to be home. And financially, she needed to make sure that she was okay. So she constantly did so much, so much, so much. Right. And it took her husband to step out of character because the reality is those who are perpetrate violence, they know how to act in certain areas. I'm behind closed doors. There are still signs that oftentimes employers will ignore, but they also know how to hide it as very well too. They know how to hide it very well. And so he broke the mask. And when he broke the mask, that's when and he called her supervisor that's when her supervisor was like, okay, what is going on? When he had the direct contact. What? Right. When he had the direct contact. You said something, I don't want to go, I don't want to lose. You said often there are signs that are missed. What are some of those signs that are missed? Yeah. So there's, so first let me say that, you know, each survivor is different, right? Like each one is different. But there's changes in personalities. There's changes mm-hmm. in clothes. They're, they may not be going to after work events like how they used to, right? Um, they may, you, you may see that they're constantly on the phone because they're constantly getting called. Um, the person is showing up at their job at random times or they always pick them up from work, right? Or they always drop them off. Things that are just really different, right? Very different than what it was before. They may even seem more withdrawn, mm-hmm. right? Or, or this is the flip side. It's how why I say it's very, you know, it's nuanced or they become extra hyper, like hyper aggressive because they don't have the power and control at home and they need to somehow figure out how to use that, replicate that mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Now you often see that with perpetrators of abuse, but sometimes you'll see victims as well, right? Because they haven't learned tools that give them that balance, right? Of like, I know I experienced this and I don't have to replicate it. Mm-hmm. And here are some tools and strategies. Um, Some other signs could be consistent lateness, mm-hmm. um, consistent or, or more frequent hospital visits, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it could be the person is stalking them. That's really overt, right? Like the person is stalking them, meaning they just pop up and you don't know, like, why are they here, right? Yeah. Um, or for perpetrators, they may talk exceptionally negative about their partner. That's a really good point. Anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, name calling, right. Changing, changing of how they dress. Like that was something that I experienced when I look back at pictures, I'm like, that is not even how I dress. Like what the heck? You know what I mean? Well, you know, I cut you. I agree that the kind of, 
from an outsider's perspective, being able to notice a change in behavior, because you are, it's nuanced and everybody behaves differently. But when you notice people's behavior, like, wait, they didn't used to do that three months ago. You know what I mean? Like, then it starts to be kind of a collection of observations of like, they they seem different, right? Might be a point of time to check in with them. and I think it, there are a couple of things you said I wanted to, to flush out, you know, somebody always getting dropped off at work or picked up at work. Sometimes that's just transportation convenience mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes it's control. And so that's- kind of, again, to paying attention to the individual's behavior, are they, are they persistently depressed or seem mm-hmm. bad when they're coming into work or heading out of work that's right but maybe the middle of the day they seem pretty okay right, right. like yep. so like kind of the nuances mm-hmm. and, and so then- you'll see is it sometimes it won't even just be one thing right like one thing could just be like a season right it's like something that they're going through whatever the case may be that they just haven't shared or whatever but when you see it's like multiple little things that they start to add up. And that's why the biggest time that I spend in my trainings is recognizing the signs. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some scenarios. We're going to, you know, talk about different signs. We're going to, you know, have conversations around it. And also how do you ask the question in an empathetic way? Yes. Yes. In an empathetic way, not an accusatory way, not even in a, I feel sorry for you way. We don't want to hear that either. Like, I don't know. Like, that's not necessary. I don't want you to feel sorry. Not sympathy, which is pity, but empathy. Empathy, right? Mm -hmm. And so a big part of it is recognizing the signs. And especially, it's a lot trickier because so many of us are virtual as well, too, right? And so how do you recognize the signs when the person's not next to you and not in the office? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes it can be very overt. I had a um, client, I did a speaking engagement and they wanted to bring me in to do some training and the violence happened while the person was on at work on video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's rough. That is rough and traumatic. Definitely for the person experiencing it and like and the, the people witnessing it. it too. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you respond to that, right? Like, what do you do? Because you're at a distance and that's the challenge as well. What I also like to leave employers with is you're not here to fix anything. This is not what I'm saying. Mm. When I go through these trainings, when I'm talking to you, even with my speak, I am not telling you to fix it. I'm telling you to have an awareness of it and have access to resources so that if someone wants to, they can, but you can't fix it because that person could say, thank you for all these resources. I'm going back. Right. Right. Melody, thanks for that very, very clear directive. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's awareness mm-hmm. and it's, re- it's access to resources, mm-hmm. right? Not fixing it. That's up to the individual to decide, mm-hmm. but for the organization to have awareness, mm-hmm for the organization to provide resources and support. Yeah. And person makes their individual choice. I think that is, um, it's just a very thoughtful, it's a very thoughtful way to handle 
a very traumatic mm-hmm. situation situations mm-hmm. um that still have you allow people to have free will make individual mm-hmm. choice but also know that they're in an environment that is aware of what's happening mm-hmm. and is going to support them with the resources um as they as they wish as they wish yeah yeah. You know, I this has been such a, a rich conversation. Um you've made me think a lot, which I appreciate. Um definitely increased my awareness of how workplaces specifically, not just individuals, but as yeah. an organization can can really address um domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, I'm just just kind of curious in general, what's something um about leadership that you wish you knew earlier in your career? It's something I kind of like to ask everybody because we learn so much. That even as leaders, we bring our own shit to the table. We bring our own stuff, right? We bring <laughs> our own stuff. I've worked with I've worked with an organization who brought me in to do training for their leadership, which was great. And also I provided some coaching for the employee as well. Some, you know, just to kind of get them on track and keep, you know, and, and, and hold them accountable because they wanted to actually not go back. Right. And so I did some coaching for them. And, but I also have this thing where I do office hours where managers, or usually it's the person who's managing the the Mm. survivor can come to me and I offer up some like coaching and consulting around that. And in the mix of that, I've learned, you know, in the conversation I was having with this particular manager, what we came out of it was, and it's such an overused word, but it's the reality. She was exceptionally triggered by this because of her own family stuff, Yep. right? That was not being addressed. And so it brought up so much that she had to, you know, when she had a really great relationship with her employee she had to set a boundary she was trying to figure out how to set a boundary because it was just bringing up so much stuff and I think about that when I every time I'm in an organization especially when I'm doing leadership training I'm like you're bringing your own stuff in this too yes yeah. And and it's okay. Yes, you we're human. Recognize it. Exactly. Right. Yes. Recognize that is this one of the things that I realized even as a survivor in my own relationships, whether intimate or otherwise, is I have to ask myself, is this their shit or is this my shit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's me. Right. <laughs> and so I have to recognize that. Sometimes it is us. That's right. And that's the one thing that I realize is like, as leaders, we will bring our own stuff to yes. a situation. Yes. Thank you for, I appreciate that your, your answer. And it's so true. Cause just like every leaders are people, leaders everybody are people. brings their own stuff, wherever you go, there goes your stuff. Yeah. So that is, that is, that is so true. And then to your point, when you're not aware of it, the way that you spread it in a harmful way is certainly greater than mm-hmm. when you're able to be aware of it and be thoughtful of what you do with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Melody, I so appreciate your time, mm-hmm. your expertise, your um, openness mm-hmm. um, to really understand the impact of domestic violence on, on individuals and a human, but also in the workplace and how we as 
employers and leaders and managers can really shape it differently to increase awareness and and resource support, but not no, thank you. fixing it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. Great. It really was. Agreed. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Managing Well. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about today's episode, go to thelodipogroup.com slash podcast for a worksheet on today's episode. A special thanks to my podcast team and the Ladipo Group who supports this show. Managing Well is produced and edited by Black Faves Brand Studio. I'm your host, Tanya Ladipo. If you have any questions or topics you want to discuss, email me at managingwellpodcast at theladipogroup.com. Thank you.